0: On today's episode, we're continuing our conversation with Judge Gary Randall about his life as a judge and as a lawyer, and we're doing this in chambers.
1: Welcome to the Lady Lawyer League podcast. They're a league of lady lawyers in an all-female law firm in Omaha, Nebraska called Hightower Ref Law. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of what it's like to be a lady lawyer and an entrepreneur. Now it's time to talk about the law, share real-life stories about representing clients, and discuss the current events of the week. It's the Lady Lawyer League podcast with Susan Reff and Tracy Hightower-Henny.
0: Welcome to the Lady Lawyer League podcast. I'm Tracy Hightower-Henny. And I'm Susan Reff. And we're gonna jump right back into our conversation with Judge Randall, where um, we're going to talk about the legacy case that really was part, a huge part of his time on the bench. And um, we're also going to ask Judge Randall for some of the advice that he would give to young lawyers and potential clients. Welcome back. I'm going to assume that you've had some of your decisions overturned on appeal.
2: I hate to say this right now because there's probably some still sitting there. Where's some, <laughs> where's some wood? Is this really wood on this table? Um, yes, I have. Um, I don't know that I ever had anything completely reversed uh, and retried.
1: Like you got it a hundred percent wrong. We're vacating everything. Start fresh.
2: <laughs> I, I don't believe that yeah, ever yeah. happened.
1: And I, I've heard from some judges that's the worst
0: feeling in the world.
2: To get reversed? Yeah. Um I hate that I did the It's not great. But
0: it comes back to you, right? The yeah. case comes back to you, you and got, you're you like, oh, do I have to again. deal with it again. But
2: I you know, I, I always assumed I'd be better at it the second time. Sure. So the I I understood why almost always that the court took that position there were a couple I didn't mm-hmm. but I, almost always I understood it mm-hmm. and some you look for that I mean they say that a lawsuit or uh, you know a case is a search for the truth well I already thought I found the truth <laughs> <laughs> so so sometimes it's uh, it's a little rough yeah but I could usually figure out why and some of it is just uh, I mean, I thought the law was something different than what it in fact was, you know, there are some quirky little pieces of the law that not everybody knows. And, you know, a a lawyer is very likely to take that position in defense of their client and move it forward. And you have to decide whether that's real or not.
0: Yeah. Tell us about, um, your experience on the bench with things, um, that were kind of a feel
2: good thing like drug court. Oh, it was amazing. I loved Drug Court. I loved it, but I actually was fortunate. Um, Drug Court started with Jim Murphy, and I started watching Jim Murphy do Drug Court as a lawyer. I loved it. Um, I have always been involved in chemical dependency treatment issues. Uh, I don't mean personally, but, but, uh, chemical dependency treatment issues and the ability like Santa, I was on the board of directors of Santa Monica. Mm -hmm. My mother was one of the founders of Santa Monica. I always believed that providing members in the community with resources to, to deal with their Mm -hmm. treatment, their, their alcohol or drug treatment was really an important Mm -hmm. component. So I, I felt that way as a lawyer, then Jim Murphy starts to do drug court and I was, I was in his audience watching it uh, because it was, it was good theater yeah. and people were getting better.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: and I always thought if I ever get the chance, I want to do that. And I was able then to fashion that once I became a judge.
0: Tell us what the best part about drug court was for the people listening that don't really understand what it means when we say drug court, how is it different?
2: Well, it's different because the sanctions are only for the purpose of trying to get people to realize that they're not doing what they need to do to get better, you know, because I'm actually providing treatment for them if they're in drug court. Mm -hmm. I'm making sure that they have resources available to them to help them stop using drugs or alcohol uh, and stop destroying their life yeah uh and i think that they well actually i know they most of them knew it they they would tell me you know when they graduated or they would tell me later i could tell that you really cared Mm -hmm. you know that you wanted me to get better and the answer is is that i did even people i didn't personally Mm -hmm. like i wanted them to get better yeah because i knew it was gonna it, it was gonna improve their lives and the lives of their family members going forward
0: And the result then of drug court is upon graduation, their crime is
2: absolved. Yeah. It's, it's, it is absolutely absolved. It's, it's comes off of their record. Mm. Now there, if somebody wants to look at their record carefully, they'll see that they were involved in drug court, Yeah. but you know, it doesn't show a conviction.
1: Yeah. Do you think that was the ultimate goal for (coughs) people or was it getting better? The people involved in—I mean, maybe when they walk in the door in the beginning—I
2: didn't care. <laughs> I didn't care because if they graduated, they were getting better. Yeah, right? I didn't care. I—I I would not, if if their if their ultimate goal was just not to have a felony on their record, if that's if that what is what trips your trigger and is going to make you healthy, I'm okay with that. It's not a cakewalk to go through drug court. It is not. Right, and yeah. it takes. A long time. I think the shortest period of time somebody can do it in is about nine months. Yeah. Uh, and the, you know, it could be a year or so.
0: Yeah. So. Well, tell us about your legacy case.
2: Which one As is that? As a judge. <laughs> <laughs> Which one Maybe is that? Maybe you have
0: multiple. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about the one you want to talk about.
2: Well, obviously the one people, people like to hear about is the Garcia case because he committed five murders and was then obviously convicted of five murders. Um, it was one of two six-week trials that I had during wow. my tenure as a judge. The other one was the Conagra case. You know And they were both significant, interesting taxing, I say, with a sense of dread. Uh, I mean, I worked until probably 10 or 12 o'clock at night, virtually every, night you know Mm -hmm. in some of those cases
0: and they're both jury trials
2: they're both jury trials which
0: adds a whole element
2: and they both had at least six lawyers involved Uh
0: uh-huh and Uh, one civil and one's criminal
2: correct you know so they were they were both at the the top of their of the rung in terms of what demanded my attention I mean, the, the ConAgra case was a $183 million judgment.
1: Wow.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, the largest judgment, I still believe, in Nebraska at this point in time. And it was affirmed.
0: So the largest number of murders and then the highest judgment were all in front of you.
2: I got both of them. Yeah.
1: Well, and and I am not familiar as familiar with the ConAgra case on like a play-by-play, but Garcia had a, so much media coverage. And not only... You know the local media there was national media involved at Absolutely. some point and
2: oh the washington post reporter was there yeah, i was um, watching the
0: twitter string about the anthony garcia case <laughs>
2: it it was it was um very well covered and the courtroom was full almost every day yeah um the uh it was it was incredibly interesting. I mean, not all lawsuits are interesting. I'm sorry. Some of them, I thought about going to sleep during, but I didn't. Uh, but this was one that, you know, it is, I would never in my lifetime see another one like. Right. You know, and some of it was the bad behavior of some of the lawyers. Uh, some of it was just the the um, salaciousness of of the crimes itself i mean they occurred five years apart yeah two of the murders happened you know initially and there was a child and and... and a child and then three of the murders happened five years later and you talk about a grudge you know dr garcia had an incredible grudge that he came back and he was still fighting when he committed the last three murders
1: and his personality was i mean generally when someone's can you know on trial for a crime their personality comes out but his was so interesting and so dark too and that played a another part in the trial i think too and the fact that he was a doctor, what sort of? I don't even know. I mean, oh, He was he got, a doctor. He,
2: he had a license, yeah. a medical license. Absolutely.
1: I knew he'd gone to medical school. I wasn't sure if he actually got licensed. He did.
0: I, I think he a did. lot of the media in, and I was sometimes in the gallery in the audience because our office was across the street from the courthouse and it was one of those cases if I had an hour in between two hearings I'd slip in there and sit in the back and a lot of the media would just report on his mannerisms during trial. Just like, how is he sitting? Is he paying attention? Is he sleeping? Is he taking notes? Is he not taking notes? And he's taking notes, and they're all sideways and crooked. And it was <laughs> fascinating.
2: And that was getting reported on by Todd Cooper and whoever else chose yes. to do it. Yeah. I mean, CNN was in there. Yeah. Um, you know, the local media was there every day. Uh, it, and and it was the back of the courtroom. I was in courtroom number thirteen. At the time, and courtroom 13 um, had chairs in the back of the courtroom that were then separated by a walkway, and then the the rest of the of the, of the rows were of the courtroom. The normal ones were in front of it, and the media filled all of the seats in the back and some of the some of the regular uh, public seats. We had media meetings every day in that trial. And my court reporter, Sonia, just did an amazing job because she was doing dailies for the attorneys so that they could have the testimony that had been given the day before. Wow. You know, in addition to that, at the end of the day, she would lay out all of the evidence that had been admitted on the bench. And she and I would watch as they came up to look at it to see what the evidence really was so that they could re- do an accurate story. Wow. You know? uh, and the, the media was, well, I hate to say this, but I will. I was kind of the darling of the media at that point in time because I was giving them access. Sure. And many judges get frightened by that. And, and I was not frightened by it. And I decided that what... What was in evidence was available to the public yeah. to be seen in news broadcasts. You then know. there's no excuse for fake news. Right. Right. <laughs> right? That's true. The good That's news. That's true. And, and this was a, a heavily, I mean, the Wall Street Journal was there. Yeah. The, uh, you know, there was national media there and, and they needed to know that in Nebraska, we did these things professionally mm-hmm. uh, and to a certain standard that needed to be held
0: up and how many pieces of evidence were there
2: i don't even know
0: thousands
2: no but hundreds (laughs) yeah 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 i i think we might have gotten to 200 Uh because for some reason i remember 183 i don't know why
1: (laughs) (laughs) what was 183 exhibit we need (laughs) to see (laughs) i i had my first courtroom experience with judge moran when i was in the legal clinic at creighton with kate maher and the you know it was a divorce and the other side uh the husband was in jail for a domestic abuse on the wife and his his entourage showed up but he doesn't because he's in jail and they wanted to make they wanted to put on testimony from the benches in the back you know they were shouting out and Judge Moran said numerous times, I will not let my courtroom become the Jerry Springer show.
2: <laughs> I, I believe I, I might have even picked up that phrase from him because I'd used it more than once. Yeah. You know, and. Uh,
1: you have to be in control, right? I mean, you you're, you're the, you're the, you have to take all the evidence and hear it and decide, but you also are in control of what happens and day you, to day.
2: And if you decide that you don't want to abide by my, reg, my rules and my regulations, as long as I'm do, using the right ones. then you can leave my courtroom or I'll have you removed. And sometimes they leave with the deputy in handcuffs. And I don't mean somebody that that was there to be sentenced for another crime. (laughs) I mean people that are behaving inappropriately in the courtroom. I I had held them in contempt and had them removed.
0: Have you ever had an attorney held in contempt in your courtroom?
2: Yes. Ooh. But I. Were
1: there deputies involved?
0: Were there handcuffs? I just want to know if there's handcuffs. handcuffs.
2: <laughs> no, but I threatened it, I'm sure.
1: That that might be good enough for some people, right? And is there really a red button under the desk?
2: Absolutely.
1: <laughs> yeah. Did you ever accidentally hit it with your leg or
2: anything? No, but I hit it on purpose multiple times. No, I did hit it, I guess, accidentally once. I we did. we had a hearing recently. <clears throat> and different benches have them in different places. And that's, oh. that's kind of the problem there. But we
0: sorry. had a hearing recently where the two attorneys were arguing loudly um, at the table, and all of a sudden the sheriff showed up, and I was like, the judge just hit the red button. I know of that, because yeah. there was no other reason for the deputies to
1: come in. That's correct. You see yeah. it a lot in county court. Yeah. It happens in county court, criminal court a lot.
2: Oh, yeah, but that's kind of the Court of the Great Unwashed, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and they don't necessarily know how they how they have to behave. Yeah, And yeah. county court judges have to figure out how to get their attention sometimes.
1: Yes. Yeah. 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 people like sit up taller when the sheriff walks in. Or sometimes they don't. Yeah. They don't care. I mean, sometimes if they are that far, if they're, if you're willing to be super disrespectful to a judge to the point where they're like, I got it. I got to get some muscle in the courtroom. Yeah. I think by then that person's usually pretty far gone. That reason isn't going to work.
2: Well, and if it's a, I mean, if it's a civil case, it's probably just in the regular County courtrooms, but the courtroom they have in the jail takes care of a whole lot of those problems now that that didn't used to be able to be handled as easily.
0: Yeah. I want to know, um, as we kind of wrap up a little bit, what is some advice that you would give to lawyers? Maybe the, the, the ruffians, the baby lawyers, (laughs) and then also advice to domestic divorce clients and how they act
1: and should act in court.
2: Well, I'll go for the baby lawyers first. The baby lawyers need to be in communication with the judge, and they can communicate with the judge through their, the bailiff. And if they want to come in and talk to the judge about how the judge is going to do things, the other side's going to have to come in too. But they can come in, and I would absolutely give them that time anytime. And most I, I always, judges
0: would, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes,
2: because we want it to run smoothly. We want them to know what it is they're supposed to be doing. Uh, it's, you know, we're, we're just helping them be better. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and I don't believe that holding them in contempt or <laughs> ridiculing them or embarrassing them is the right way to do that. Yeah. That's just, that's just making an enemy and I don't need to do that.
0: And those baby lawyers on that piece of advice should become friends with the bailiff or at least be friendly and kind and respectful to the bailiff. Sure, yeah.
2: Sure. And, and if the baby lawyer isn't sure what it is on a particular part of what they're doing, then they should get the other attorney and call the bailiff and say, Can we talk to the judge for a little bit? Can we have a pretrial in this case? Yeah. You know, and then it's all above board. Nobody's trying to, you know, uh, stab anybody else in the back. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's the right way that, to go about it.
0: Yeah. I think there's a, a big intimidation factor, especially for the ruffians, um, calling and saying, can I talk to the judge? And I don't know what I'm doing. And I think one of the things that I learned from the beginning, because I didn't do moot court and I didn't do trial practice, is unless I'm admitting I don't know what I'm doing, I'm going to make a fool out of myself. You know, and it's really helpful, I think, for you to just say, I need help. Yeah,
2: absolutely. To someone. Judge, this is my first trial. Yeah. Yeah. Is there something that I need to do for you specifically? Yeah. You know, then you make it about the judge and he's going to tell you, he or she's going to tell you about yeah. what they want. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think anybody has a problem with that. Yeah.
0: And I have over 10 years of practice and Susan has over 20 and we still often say, I don't really know what I'm doing. I type
1: of the case. <laughs> well, and recently a lot of the rules have changed as far as evidence. And I have made it a point to try to reach out to every judge through their bailiff and court reporter and say, how do you like it? because what we're learning is everybody's a little bit different, and i I think that's just going to be my practice before any trial is you know how do you like it mm-hmm. and and you know, and then passing that information to as many different lawyers here as I can, like this judge likes it like this,
2: yeah yeah that's a that's a very wise practice, yeah yeah, because every judge is going to want it their own way, yep. and uh that we get to do that
0: yeah. yeah. All right, tell us about advice for parties in a case and decorum in the courtroom.
2: <laughs> your attorney, your clients hopefully have a good enough hopefully your client, not I don't mean your clients, I mean any attorney's client, is being sufficiently represented so they know what to expect. But the bottom line is is if you've got a lawyer your lawyer's going to make your points. Your lawyer's going to make your argument, and you really aren't as a, as the party to the case. Probably shouldn't speak unless you're spoken to. <laughs> you know, and that, yeah. that's Number just the right thing to do. Yes, you know? yeah. uh, Sit back. You know, relax
0: and, and enjoy the show.
2: <laughs> and if you think that somebody doesn't know that you're angry about a decision or something, you know, because you haven't said anything, you're getting read all the time, your yeah. facial expressions, your body language, you know, I'm watching all of that as the judge, Yeah. you know, and, and some of it's just self-preservation from the judge's perspective. Sure. You know, cause I need to know if somebody's going to blow up.
0: Yeah. Right. You if know. you need to hit the red button. <clears throat>
2: exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, that's my job as it is the observer of that. Yeah. And, you know, we're able to do multiple things at the same time and we do it all day long.
0: I had a recent trial where I was representing the wife, and the husband showed up with his lawyer at their table, you know, next to ours. And the husband pulls a Bible out and he sets it on the table. And my client said, "He's only doing that because he thinks he's the judge is going to like look better at him." And I said, "There's no way this judge doesn't care if this man has a Bible sitting on the table or not." And at some point during the trial, he opens the Bible and starts highlighting things in the Bible during her testimony. And I said, the judge does not care about that. Nope. And frankly, the judge probably thinks it's weird. <laughs> yep.
2: <laughs> yep.
0: So it's though, you know, our clients really see all those little things and they think, oh, he might win because he's got the Bible sitting out. Yeah. And I think it's, we get those good stories.
1: <laughs> yes, well, that's you know, maybe know your judge. maybe I, I actually had a two day trial where both parties were holding their rosaries during the trial, and my client was literally like it was like her calming thing, and they
2: was it she had, doing the beads she in was order? going
1: through the beads, I, yeah, I'm assuming okay. yeah. um but it it got to the point where like they were like knocking on the tables and for both of the parties and I mean, obviously that was an important thing for both of them and had been part of who they are, but I hadn't known it until trial and I'm like, huh, but I tell people when you're in trial, you're a human being, you know, the judges see this all the time. You know, they, they see people come in front of them at all stages of their life. Like it's okay to be nervous. It's okay to, you know, people are like, can I bring a, a water bottle and can I take notes or. Is there going to be bathroom breaks? You know, and it's like telling people what they can expect is
2: a huge part of our job. But I think the number one thing to make sure you tell the clients is you may be angry, but don't let the court know that you are angry. It's not going to do you any good. Yes. Because when you get angry, you are no longer in charge of how you are communicating your story, which you want the court to have.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Some emotions are okay, right? I think when when people, you you can tell they may start crying on the stand. I think just let it, you know, let Mm -hmm. it happen. You're going to, this is an emotional time, but I agree. I think the anger um, just can cloud a lot of.
2: It doesn't win anything. Yeah. Because you're angry doesn't mean I'm going to rule in a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's just not going to happen. Yeah. They
0: win the anger factor. You know, and I I don't
2: necessarily want to make people angry. Right. But I know I do. So I'm not worried about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if that's, if that's the emotion you feel because I did what my job was and I did it the right way, I'm not responsible for that. Yeah. You know, know, now if you want to express that anger in certain ways in the courtroom, I can stop that because I'll have you removed. But
0: (laughs) yeah. With the red button,
1: (laughs) never get the red button pushed. Those are the two good closing pieces of advice. If you're angry, don't let the judge see it and don't get the red button. (laughs) Yeah. As a lawyer or, a litigant
2: <laughs> well no actually not if, if you the the piece of advice isn't don't let the judge know if you're angry don't act in a manner that's going to get you in trouble there you go yeah control your anger from that sense if you want the judge to know that you don't like what's happening hey that 50 percent of the time somebody's not going to be happy right yeah yeah
0: that's good advice for life in general. If you just always picture if someone can hit a red button at any moment, don't act that way. That's the life advice yeah. that we're going to leave. You with. never know what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. This has been such a fun conversation and I think we could, it could last for eight hours and we could tell stories and maybe mostly off the record, yeah. but
2: but you wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't be able to, nobody would listen to it that long <laughs> except you guys.
1: Yeah. Right. Thank you, Judge Randall. This was really great.
2: Thank you for asking. Yeah.
1: Thank you for listening to the Lady Lawyer League podcast. And be sure to like and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. If you would like to learn more about our firm, Hightower Rep Law, please visit our website at hrlawomaha.com.
2: We'll see you next week.